0: Ready. so encouraging. Lord, we just pray that we'd just enjoy the richness of your blessing as we listen to your word. Amen. Oh, I feel like I need to lie down. <laughs> I don't really. I don't feel like I want to sleep. I just feel like, oh, it's great, isn't it? Right, Jenny, come on up. So... I'm going to tell you some things about Jenny and then I'm going to ask her some questions. <laughs> ask her to correct it. <laughs> so I'm trying to think when I met Jenny for the first time. I'm not entirely sure. It's been a few years now. <laughs> Jenny has been has done various, many interesting things. Um, she's a very good writer and she has a book coming out and I'm hoping she's going to tell us a bit about that. She's currently at Grace Church London, good name, <laughs> uh, where Georgie is, our eldest daughter, and that's been a real blessing because actually Jenny... Um, helps edit a brilliant it started out actually as an article but it's now online um, and um, a forum called salt and they write the most amazing articles on current affairs and all kinds of things uh, but always with a bit of gospel drive in there and um, Georgie's been writing for that and I know you have had a big impact on shaping writing so I think that's something that Jenny has a real gift in in writing but also in teaching as well so why don't you tell us just a little bit about your church journey, different areas of the country you've lived in, and maybe some of the different jobs you've had over the years? <laughs> uh, how long have you got? Um, I grew up in
1: Northampton, uh, going to a uh, brethren church, um, which then my parents were part of a church planting team out of that, uh, and we were an evangelical church, uh, so I grew up in that as a pastor's kid. Um, and uh, then went to uni in Birmingham, uh, went to a nice little evangelical church there, um, studied teaching there. I was trained as a primary school teacher, but then uh, obviously you go through all the applying for jobs things and I just kept being like the second choice. You know, if if they don't accept it, then we'll offer it to you. And I just never quite got any of the jobs I was going for. And uh, this little, still small voice in my head kept going, OM ships, OM ships. And uh, OM is a missionary organization, Operation Mobilization, that my parents' church had supported all my life um, through different ways. And they'd always had posters of these two ships that sailed around the world with a big bookshop on board, um, spreading the gospel and getting Bibles and good Christian literature into different parts of the world. Um, And eventually I kind of thought, well, I have to listen to this voice. And so I wrote to them and said... I don't really know much about what goes on on the ship. Do you ever need teachers? Um, And they were like, yes, please, please. We're desperate for teachers. They have a little school on board for the children of the captain and senior crew members um, so that they can commit to being there for a a good chunk of time. And so, uh, long story short, I ended up serving on the ship as a teacher for two years. Um, I had between one and sometimes as many as six kids in my class. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, um, yeah, a wonderful time. Uh, so I did that for two years, sailing around the Caribbean, Central America, up the West Coast of the States, through the Panama Canal both ways. It was an incredible time. Um, and obviously just a time of learning and growing so much in God and just seeing his power um, at work. When I left there, I was like, yeah, well, teaching was fun. I don't feel the need to do that anymore. (laughs) And so I was looking around for something else. And uh, again, long story short, ended up working for a music ministry and um, was an administrator for that, um, this sort of Christian rock band still within OM um, and administered our tours around the world and got to travel more around the world and... um, Yeah, was a roadie, ran the (laughs) PowerPoints, yeah, carrying the big amps, (laughs) rolling cables. So, yeah, did that and then moved, uh, was based in Atlanta while I was working with that ministry and then moved back to England and to London in 2006 and have been there ever since. Doing various
0: things for New Frontiers and all kinds of things. Yes,
1: all kinds of things. Admin jobs and then moved into communications for New Frontiers. And then um, when the structure of New Frontiers changed, uh, I went freelance and I'm a freelance writer and editor. Um, But that was how I got to know the hosiers was because as part of my work with New Frontiers, I started uh, editing and then blogging for the Think Theology blog and got to know Matt and have gradually been absorbed into the family <laughs> are you still um writing for think Theology? i am still writing for Think so Theology. So those of you know
0: about think theology it's a really good blog definitely worth checking out all kinds of good writers but jenny is one of the regular contributors to that blog and does an awesome job there thank so you. jenny i'm going to pray for you thank I you, thank you much. so much for coming down no problem. i know Thanks you've got some really great stuff to share with us thank you and um, let me pray for you lord jesus just thank you that jenny has given her time to us this weekend she's a busy woman I thank you, Lord, that she has faithfully prepared these messages to share with us. Lord, just give us good drinking hearts to um, take on board everything she's got to share. Help her with her communication, Lord. Help give her energy. And Lord, just bless her right now.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank Thank you you very much. Thank you. Uh, I've got a little bottle of water here. That should be good. Thank you. Uh, and i need uh, four volunteers please to come up here you don't have to be up here for very long it's nothing scary there you go there's four <laughs> <laughs> wonderful i'd like you to you take a piece of take two pieces of fruit two pieces, po- of, fruit. Two pieces of fruit one yeah and a tangerine lovely Yep. Brilliant. Thank you very much. (laughs) So these fruits they have chosen, they represent the things that we long for in life. So my talk today is about um, life in all its fullness. And so often we feel like I would have life in all its fullness if I could just have that one extra thing, and, or maybe sometimes even two extra things. So they've got these things that they're going to hold on to. Uh, and I'm going to ask you to keep them in your hands throughout the talk, one in each hand, because um, they're things that, that you want, but you haven't quite yet got. So you're just holding on to those things for me. Thank you. If you could take your seats. <laughs> <laughs> It will all become clear. It will be hard to write notes, yes. (laughs) So for me in my life, my little orange that I was holding on to was marriage. Um, It started being an issue in my late 20s. I'd had a couple of serious relationships, uh, but they'd been a long time ago. And uh, although I was still pretty hopeful and expectant, uh, mostly loving life, I was starting to be aware that that clock was ticking and nobody was coming along and the life I'd kind of expected and planned for and longed for and hoped for just wasn't coming to be. Um, I started praying for it, um, sometimes casually, sometimes really desperately. Uh, There were two separate years where I felt at the beginning of the year, God said, pray for this daily, this year, this is going to be the year, just pray, be committed and pray for it. And so I um, did that and nothing came of it. Um, And yeah, I just spent quite a long time just wrestling with, what are you doing here? Why why are you not bringing this about? Um, And as Grace mentioned, uh, I'm now writing a book on the topic of contentment. And that came about because a couple of years ago, I suddenly realized I'd stopped longing and praying for this little orange. God had given me a true, deep, joyful contentment in him. I'd still love to be married, but I no longer experience it as a gaping lack in my life. It's not the one thing that's preventing me from fullness of joy. So uh, I want to talk to you today about some of the themes in that book. How did I get there? How did I find that joy? And more importantly, how can you as well? So let's turn to the Bible. Uh, if you've got Bibles, I'd like you all to turn to this passage. Uh, you can use your app on your phone or the church Bible. Um, this, because I want you to, to read through it after I have and, and look through it for yourselves. So Philippians 4. It's quite a smallish book towards the back. Grace, do you know the number in the church Bible? 1180 in the church Bibles. How are my volunteers doing with finding that? <laughs> a bit of a juggle in your... <laughs> okay starting from verse 4 rejoice in the Lord always I will say it again rejoice let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near do not be anxious about anything but in everything in every situation by prayer and petition with Thanksgiving present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm just going to take, give you a couple of minutes to read through that section again. Uh, it jumps around a lot, it covers a lot of material, um, but I just want to give you an opportunity to see what God's saying to you through it before I tell you what he said to me through it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word to us. Thank you for uh, Paul's testimony of finding a great contentment and even great joy in the midst of all his sufferings and his hardships. So I ask that you would speak through me uh, this morning as I um, open up your word to uh, these ladies and that you would speak to each of us uh, and, and help us to find that deeper joy in you. Uh, Whatever level we're at, that, that you would take us a next step deeper in, higher up into your love. Amen. So, as I prayed, the thing that strikes me in this passage and in the whole of Philippians is Paul's joy. He's just bubbling over with it. And this letter was written while he was under house arrest. So, it probably wasn't as bad as some of the prisons he's, he'd been in. He wasn't chained day and night to an armed guard, he wasn't being beaten or shipwrecked or bitten by poisonous snakes. Uh, But still, he's in prison. He's not free. So what's he got to be so happy about? I think the clue is in the last line. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Paul just loved God. He couldn't stop talking about him, pointing to him, and giving him glory. The Father, the Spirit, and most of all, the Son, were more important to him than anything. In chapter 3, he says, I consider everything, all his achievements, his status, his success, as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And we can see it in relation to his problems and afflictions too. If you look back to chapter one sometime, you'll see he was completely fine about being stuck in prison because God was getting the glory. He was even fine with other people preaching the gospel. His friends had obviously written to him and said, you know, they're getting all the credit for preaching the gospel. That's your thing. He was like, no, no, the gospel is the thing. I, that's what he cared about. And here in chapter 4, from verse 11, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. His achievements meant nothing to him, but neither did the things he lacked. He lived a completely joy-filled life, regardless of his circumstances, because of his incredible relationship with Jesus. Who here has heard of Marie Kondo? Just a couple. Uh, Marie was, is a Japanese woman who wrote a book a few years ago called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not my book. <laughs> it's been so popular that there's now a Netflix show all about it. People actually binge watch a series of programs about how to tidy your house. It's just beyond me. <laughs> It does sound like it is quite a nightmare. (laughs) But she's created this vision of a life of harmony and peace and freedom that can be achieved by letting go of your excess stuff and only holding on to the things that spark joy. That's her little phrase. She gets people to pick up their clothes and go, does this spark joy? And if it doesn't, they have to throw it away. (laughs) I think that's a great metaphor for our spiritual lives. Of course, we know there's only one thing, one person, who can bring us true joy like on the show we need to both believe that he's worth it and choose to say goodbye to anything that's getting in the way of having of us having him only and just like on the show it can be really hard most weeks the people who invite Marie into their homes to help them reach this joy end up in tears as they have to let go of things that have been really precious to them for many years And unlike on the show, in our spiritual lives, we also have an enemy who is actively seeking to tell us to trust our stuff and not our Father. If God really loved you, he'd give you that thing you're asking for, wouldn't he? After all, you need it. God alone couldn't possibly fill that hole. Is he really worth the sacrifice? In my book, I summarize these questions under the headings of, is God good? Is God enough? And is God worth it? I just want to pause for a moment again and let you think about those questions. Which one or ones resonate the most with you? Is God good? Can you really trust him? Is he enough to meet that aching need in your heart? Is he worth the sacrifice of whatever he's calling you to give up for him? If you're thinking, why me? I think that comes under the heading of God's goodness. Why would a good God treat me this way? or allow me to go through this? If you're thinking, I just don't think I can take it anymore, that's to do with whether God's enough, can he really meet your needs outside of that thing you're longing for? So it might be health, it might be, like I said for me it was marriage, it might be children, it might be healthy children. So for me the question came down to trusting that God was good. In my head, of course, the answer was yes. It's one of the first things you learn in Sunday school. But in my heart, I wasn't sure if this plan was really good for me. It didn't feel good. I know he's good in the abstract, but is he actually good for me? And I actually thought he might have got it wrong. When I say that out loud, I realize how crazy it seems, but I was pretty convinced I could serve him better if I was married than single. That was how he would designed me. It was all I'd ever wanted. Why would he make me this way, just to then hold me back? You'll be pleased to know I discovered that, yes, he is good. His plan is the best. <laughs> the life he'd designed for me, including those trials, is truly life in all its fullness. It took time to get there, wrestling with him through the reality of where he'd got me and what that meant about who he was and my relationship with him. So as I've been researching for my book and reading other people's stories, I have found some common threads in how that process works. So my goal today is to give you some of those tools that I and others have found helpful on our journeys towards finding life in all its fullness. So let's just look back at the passage. Uh, The first one from verse 4 is a bit counterintuitive. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. We often think we'll be able to rejoice when we've got the issues in our lives sorted out. My wedding day was going to be the most incredible day of rejoicing and praising God for the amazing thing he'd done. I thought he, maybe he was sort of holding back so that he'd get more glory in the end, you know, when he finally brought us together and everything was going to be wonderful. When he'd done what I wanted, then he would get so much glory and praise. It took a really long time to realize how selfish and arrogant that was. I'll praise you when you give me what I want. God is always good, always worthy of praise. He wouldn't be any more good if you were allowed to eat those bananas and pears and oranges. He wouldn't be any less good if those things were taken away from you. So you get to choose whether or not you praise Him anyway. We have more power over our brains than we think. I learned that when I was dieting once. If I went to work in the morning without planning what I'd have for tea, then by the time I came home, late and tired, All I could be able to think of was something hot and fatty and salty and quick. And I would eat, you know, a microwave-ready meal with all those nasty things in it. (laughs) That was all I could imagine being tasty at that point. But if before I left, I took a chicken breast or a nice piece of salmon out of the freezer and made sure I had some broccoli or some nice colourful mixed veg... Then when I was walking home, I'd have this mental image of this bright, attractive plate of fresh food. And that's what I would want. i would, and so sorry, you know, it would be quick to cook, just as quick as a microwave-ready meal. And that's what I would eat, and it would be much better for me. So I could let my brain run where it wanted and live as a victim of its bad choices. Or I could train it to run where I wanted it to and live in the freedom of the good choices it now had available to it. And it's the same with joy. I can live as a victim of my circumstances or of the weather or of the mood I wake up in in the morning, or I can choose to be joyful in the Lord. He's amazing. So there's plenty of material there to find joy in. So how do you do it? It works differently for different people. Uh, There's a really helpful podcast by Andrew Wilson that I like to listen to from time to time. Uh, You were given a sheet as you came in with some resources on and it's listed on there so you can find it and listen to it. Um, It has some really good ideas, as well as some more teaching on why we need to do it, why we need to choose that. Um, For Andrew, it involves sitting down with his Bible and a journal and a good cup of coffee. For some of you, it might be going for a walk on the beach or for a run or listening to worship music Um, or try reading a children's Bible. I sometimes find, when I'm really in need, this little Bible is just fantastic, the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's just a beautiful way of hearing the Bible stories again, understanding again in really simple but quite deep language what, who Jesus is, what he's done for us. Um, all the Old Testament stories all point to why we need a Savior and why Jesus was that Savior. Uh, it's, just, it's really wonderful. Highly recommend that. So when you, you don't feel like you can do a big hours Bible study, two minutes reading of that <laughs> works every time for me. <laughs> Or look at creation. Some people find gazing at the stars prompts them to worship. For me, the universe is just too big for that. It's like, yeah, stars, they're nice, good. Uh, I have to bring it down really small and focus on one little thing. So recently, I got to pondering metal. When God created the earth, it didn't even merit a verse of its own. It's a throwaway line mixed in with the heavens. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but it's incredibly complex Think of all the different layers of rock with their different properties and the different types of soil covering them in different parts of the world. And hidden in those layers of rock, all kinds of wonderful jewels and precious metals. And he made us with the creativity and the desire to explore and experiment that led eventually to someone randomly saying, oh, well, maybe if we took out this silvery bit and melted it down, we could make useful stuff with it. So we made paper clips and suspension bridges. Horseshoes and battleships, knives and forks and hammers and nails, all kinds of different things. And when God threaded the seams of iron ore through the earth on day one of creation, he already knew that thousands of years later, the people he hadn't yet created would dig it up, melt it down, shape it into nails and hammer them through the hands and feet of his only begotten son. And he did it anyway. I don't know about you, but stuff like that just makes me stand in awe of God and makes my problems take on a whole new perspective. So my first tip is to train your mind to rejoice in the Lord. My second comes from verses five and six. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. In other words, pray. Pray, pray, pray. Pray about everything. Pray with thankfulness for the things God has already done as well as with humility for the things that you want. Rejoicing in God doesn't mean we stop wanting the things we want. It doesn't mean we're not allowed to pray for them anymore. Far from it. it. But it gets us in the right frame of mind to present our request. The Lord's Prayer starts like it's to our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, Vicky told me uh, you guys follow the CBR reading plan, and that follows the same thing. Adoration first, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. We praise God for who he is. We realign ourselves with him. We get ourselves right with him. And then once we're ready, once we know who he is and who we are in him, then we're ready to present our requests. I do want to say at this point that it's not wrong to cry and rage and wail at God. It's very biblical. The psalms are full of laments as people cry out in utter despair. But they always ground their weeping in the acknowledgement that the Lord is at hand. And again, the psalmists choose to take control over their thoughts and emotions. There's so many psalms, the psalmist says, but my soul trusts in God. It speaks to himself, tells himself to trust in God, to praise him, to rejoice in him, even in the midst of weeping. So rejoice, pray. The third tip is learn. As we've seen, Paul said he had learned the secret of being content in all situations. We sometimes seem to think like that spiritual things like joy or contentment or holiness are things we either have or we don't. That God will just pour it out onto us in some lavish manner sometimes, and if we haven't got it well, then you know, it's his fault, not ours. Most of the, Old Tes- uh, the New Testament, if not the whole Bible, teaches us that we can and must learn these things like we do everything else in life. So read your Bible. Let it teach you who God is and why he's worthy of your praise and trust. Read about those who have walked the path before you to see how they did it and learn from them. Again, I've listed some, some really good books, some Christian biographies and some other um, resources on your sheet. so you can, There's some great places to start with other people that have been through this journey. Talk to your life group leader or to others in the church that you trust. Paul says in verse 9, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So learn from others. Practice it till it comes naturally. And that leads to my fourth tip, which is dig into community. We can't do this alone. Paul says in verse 14, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. So volunteers, how did you manage to find the Bible passage earlier? It was hard because you were holding on to things. If you have been sitting with others, maybe others would have helped you to open the Bible and and helped you in that. When your hands were busy and your hands were full, others can come alongside and help us to read, to pray, to worship. Often when we're struggling with something, we just want to withdraw. I just need to take a bit of time to deal with this, then I'll be back. I'm coming to see that this is the worst possible response to our problems. When people say that, Every Sunday they miss, every life group they miss, the likelihood diminishes that they'll ever come back again. Uh, We're told that we're the body of Christ. So say you're a foot and you're hurt. Is the solution to cut yourself off the leg and sit in the corner for a while to heal? Of course not, that's the worst possible outcome for a foot. It's never gonna get better if it's cut off. It's going to decay and die and start to stink pretty fast. If you're that foot, you need the blood pumping through from the rest of the body, bringing you the nutrients and healing and help that you need. And you might say, oh, well, I'm, I'm, listening to my I'm reading my Bible, I'm listening to the sermons online, I'm, I'm listening to worship music, I'm, I'm getting all the stuff I need. The other day I was chatting to a friend who works from home sometimes and in an office at other times. She said when she works from home, she gets caught up with, she, with what she's doing forgets to fill her water bottle, and ends the day with a headache just because she hasn't drunk enough throughout the day. When she's in the office, though, there's always someone making a cup of tea or bringing drinks around, and she drinks six to eight cups of tea per day, and it ends the day well hydrated. When you're alone, you have to fend for yourself and take responsibility for your own hydration, and all too often you forget or you put it off longer than you should, or you choose the wrong kinds of nourishment. And when you're struggling, you're even less likely and able to take care of your own needs. When you're in community, others provide for you. They offer things when you didn't even know you needed them. So you need to stick in community. And the community needs you. You might think, I don't want to be a burden. But to go back to the body analogy, the body will suffer more from you being cut off than it will by helping you in your time of need. It will continue to feel the pain of your loss and will have to work around the gap forever. The temporary pain you might be causing it is nothing to the permanent pain and injury of losing you. Paul was a super apostle. If anyone could have made it on their own, he could. Yet again and again and again, throughout his writings, he talked about relationships, the relationships that had sustained him, the people who had encouraged him. He mentioned by name dozens and dozens of friends across the Roman Empire sending greetings, asking after them, thanking them for their service to him. He urged the believers to stay in community, to be reconciled to one another, to live like family. We're in this together, and nobody can be part of a flourishing part of the body alone. So dig in. Stick with the community. Keep going to life group and church whenever you possibly can. And when you can't, stay connected through whatever communications you use, whether it's like WhatsApp groups, your messaging uh, your life group, or leaving voice messages for friends. Ask people for prayer. Ask, stay connected. Arrive at church early. Make sure you have time to connect with people. And stay around afterwards and chat get prayer from someone you trust. Stay connected to the body as far as you're able. Join a serving team. It's painful, I understand that. When everyone around you seems to be flourishing and getting all the things you lack and having a wonderful life, it's really hard. But it is still the only way you will ever get better. And the final point will also help is look outwards. This is also one for you who have been sitting there twiddling your thumbs all morning because you're not struggling with anything and everything's fine. So here's a point to thank you for sticking with it. (laughs) Look outwards. Second, only to Paul's love for God was his love for other believers. In verse 17, after thanking the Philippians for their gift, he says, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. He was grateful for what they gave him, he was thankful for it, it met his needs, but he was still more concerned about their fruitfulness, their blessing, than about himself. In chapter 2, verse 4, he says, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In the ESV, it translates that as, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. If you come to church hurting and only looking for the help others can give you, you're going to be disappointed. The enemy will say, see, nobody cares. You were wrong to come. They're all getting on fine. They're not interested in you. You should have stayed at home. But if you go with the attitude that you're seeking their good at least as much as your own, your whole experience will be transformed. Joining in the coffee time might be incredibly hard, especially if you're an introvert as well as struggling with something. So why not try going to the pre-service prayer meeting? It's a smaller group. Just showing up will be an encouragement to others. And whether you pray out loud or silently, you'll be spending a chunk of time focusing on who God is and on other people's needs before you have to face your own again. Or join a serving team. Give up a bit of your time every few weeks to serve the church with your talents and gifts. Vicky said there's a new opportunity to sign up for new teams in September. So if you haven't been on one before, or you want to try something different, I really urge you to do that. You could make a huge difference to one of the overstretched people who's always serving everywhere. They might be on the verge of burning out. They might need you. And again, it doesn't mean pretending you haven't got any problems. We also need to be honest and vulnerable with each other and get the help we need. But it's not only, but also. It's both and. As you start to look out for others, you find that they have issues too. There's stuff they're struggling with where you can help, or maybe they experienced what you're going through a couple of years back, and they are a few steps further down the road of learning how to find life in all its fullness. And the miracle is that while you're working through those five things, choosing to praise God, bringing your needs before him, actively seeking to learn and grow, supporting and being supported by other faithful believers, you'll find that you found the answers to those questions about his goodness and trustworthiness and sufficiency for you. You'll either find, like me, that you've somehow put down that desire you were carrying somewhere along the way, or that you now have such a clear vision of the joy set before you that you're willing to put it down for the sake of knowing Christ. So volunteers, you can put those gifts down now, symbolically laying them down, choosing to, to know Christ instead of to long for those things. It feels good, doesn't it? You can flex your fingers, yeah. you're all sweaty. <laughs> Apologies if you wanted to eat those for lunch. Some of them are, the pears might be a bit sweaty now. But, <laughs> but it's amazing what difference laying down that desire has made across my life. I hadn't realized how much it had hindered me. I've got a new level of joy and release. I was always quite a joyful person, but there's just this whole new depth of joy and release in my spiritual life, in my writing. Currently in speaking, I've never been a speaker before this year. In leadership, in hospitality, in pastoral care in the church. in Love for my neighbours outside of it. This desire that I thought was just a small peripheral niggle turned out to be a huge idolatrous blockage that was affecting so many areas of my life. So I'd really encourage you, that thing you want resolved so you can step into fullness of joy might actually be an apple or a banana or an orange of blockage. It's hard to imagine a world where not having that desire fulfilled or that issue resolved could ever really be life in all its fullness. But we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who encourage us that when we surrender everything we're holding on to, we find we get Jesus and he is better by far. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that there are things that we often long for that get in the way of longing for you only. We thank you that you are good. You are enough for us. You are worth the sacrifices that you call us to. Uh, just I pray for each of these ladies here that as they come to you in humility, that you will show them just how much you love them. You've already been speaking to us about just how much you love us. That lavish love is just waiting for us. I ask that you would enable us to each open our hands, lay down those things that we've been hanging on to, and be ready to receive you in all your fullness.
0: Amen. Brilliant. Let's give Jenny a round of applause. That was just fantastic, wasn't it? (laughs) Thank you so much. Very profound. Now, we're going to go to coffee in a moment, but why don't you just take a minute, either on your own, or turn to the person next to you. If you feel like, as a result of what Jenny's brought, that you want some more specific prayer, just turn to somebody near you and say, Actually, I feel like I have. I've been hanging on to this. This is what I've been hanging on to. And I just want to say now, uh, just pray for me, that I would have the courage to put it down. And to work through. Obviously, it's going to take work to go through that process. It's something that you're going to have to spend time on. But I just think, I feel like it would be good just to turn to someone and say, if you feel, you've, you know, as soon as you started speaking, you know, right, oh, I'm def- I feel like this is my orange. This is what it is. Then why don't you say that? If you don't feel comfortable doing that, why don't you write it down? Write it in your little notebook. Right, this is the thing. I think these are the things that God's speaking to me about. And maybe you can later would be a good time for you to get that prayer. But let's just take a minute or two to do that. And then when you feel you've done that and you've taken a moment to reflect, go and get yourself a cup of coffee. We're going to take a break. We've put some chairs outside. If you want to go and get some air, please do that. And I'll give you a five-minute warning when we're coming back for session two.